Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Friday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I am Dan Lobby, and joined as I have been all week uh, by Mary Kay Cabot. Mary Kay, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Good. And also Scott Patsko. Scott, how are you? I wonder if people think we ever leave our basements or if we're just down here all the time. This is the only way they see us now, in our basements. <laughs> I will say on NFL Draft Weekend, I, I actually don't know that I left my, my basement that whole time. <laughs> um, okay, <laughs> let's talk about coaching. We've been doing this what to expect from kind of series o- over the last two weeks. And Scott, today for our Football Insider Newsletter, which only goes out to our tech subscribers, I'm going to tell you about that a little later in the podcast, um, you wrote about Brown's first year head coaches. So we'll give everybody a little treat here and, and expose that to the light beyond football insiders. Um, t- tell us a little bit what you learned about first time Browns head coaches. Yeah, here's breaking news. The Browns first year coaches don't often do very well. I think most people would probably assume that knowing the recent history of week one losses for the Browns, they haven't won an opener since 2004, but it goes beyond that. Um, so I wanted to kind of get an idea of what Kevin Stefanski was up against. We know you know, about the offseason and putting in a new scheme and meeting new players and, and all the challenges that a normal coach would have. But then you add this history that's kind of there for the Browns. So you have to go back to Bud Carson. He's the last one to win a week one game as a Browns head coach. That, I, you know, as a new head coach, 51 nothing over the Steelers. Everybody remembers that game. And you want to go find the next person. You have to go all the way back to the first three coaches the Browns ever had, right? So it's been a while. Uh, four guys, and then it's also been four four coaches who've actually made the playoffs. You know, Bud Carson, Paul Brown. Again, back then it wasn't really the playoffs; it was win your division and play for the title. Um, Nick Scorch, Bud Carson. What did I say? Nick Scorch, Paul Brown, not Bud Carson. Yeah, I think those three. And then, okay. so it, has, it hasn't been a lot. He's up against that. Beyond that, just having a good record really hasn't been a thing for first-year Browns coaches. Uh, since 99, the high watermark is 7-9. and nine. Mike Pettin, of all people, went 7-9. and nine. Uh, Butch Davis went 7-9, and nine. they improved by four games. Now, they didn't have a very high bar to, to raise, but I'm guessing that if a 7-9 season happens here in 2020, I don't know how happy fans would be about that. Yeah, it's an improvement, and yeah, it's the best a, a first-year coach has done since 99 with the Browns, but is 79 good enough? I'm, I'm skeptical. Yeah, so so Mary Kay, it's kind of funny Scott goes through that, and I'm, I'm just thinking if it feels like what happened last year with, with Freddie Kitchen sort of embodies everything we've seen with first-year Browns head coaches. There's all this hype, these expectations, and then not only did the Browns disappoint and go 6-10, and 10, but just the season opener itself. You know, that disaster against Tennessee last year really seemed to kind of embody what first-year coaches have had to deal with. And certainly that's something you've been a part of, of seeing over and over and over again. I, you know, I, I mean, I think the first, first coach I really covered was probably Mike Pettin, who started seven and nine, but uh, there's been too many first-year coaches even for me since then. So, you know, what do you think it has been with, with some of these first-year head coaches that have struggled before we really dig into to Kevin Stefanski? You know, I think in many, many cases, it's been the quarterback. I just don't necessarily think that they've had uh, a good enough quarterback to go out there and and have a winning record most of the time. That has been a huge issue. Now, when it hasn't been just the quarterback, it's been the supporting cast in addition to the quarterback, because you need more than that, obviously. I mean, I I actually think that way back when, when Tim Couch was was the quarterback, that if he had 
had something other than an expansion roster around him, that he could have been uh, a playoff quarterback. So um, I think that's probably the biggest thing. And it's the advantage if Baker Mayfield is what everybody believes that he is, uh, then Kevin Stefanski does have the advantage of having the quarterback in place. And that's one thing that, um, that Jimmy Haslam even said on the uh, introductory press conference day of Kevin Stefanski is that, you know, we've got the quarterback in place and, you know, we're ahead of the game because of it. Now, obviously that didn't work last year with Baker Mayfield, but that was because, and I've said it a million times, because the coaching was so discombobulated and the plan was in such disarray that there was no way they were going to be successful last year. This year, that's all changed. Now they've got COVID and everything, you know, that that's a game changer too. But just in terms of knowing the plan, knowing the offense, they actually have a scheme suited to the quarterback. So with Stefanski, I, I guess, is that sort of the first place to start here with expectations? And I know this is a really low bar, but is the first place to start just everything's going to be organized. Things are going to run on time. Things are going to happen the way they're supposed to happen. I, I remember when Greg Williams took over as the interim, you know, we noticed some of those changes right away and, and just, it, and of course they cleaned out a lot of other things as well. And things started to run on time and, and things started to happen a little differently. And then last year that all kind of went away. Is that sort of the first bar here for Kevin Stefanski? Just make sure the trains are running on time and everything's happening the way it's supposed to happen behind the scenes on game day, all, all that other stuff. Yeah, I'd say organization is where you start, um, you know, and if they win on Sunday, I guess it doesn't really matter how it gets done, right? Yeah. But when you don't win on Sunday, you notice all those things, you know. Um, I remember uh, we were all really interested in, in seeing how Freddie was going to be once he was head coach running a, a practice. You know, we've got a glimpse of it during off-season workouts, you know, would Freddie change? And he did. He was basically the same guy, but we got all these new parts to his personality that maybe we didn't see when he was the offensive coordinator, especially now when he was uh, a running backs coach. Um, you know, how will Kevin Stefanski change in that way, if at all? He's been pretty laid back, I would, I would think, over uh, the first few months here as head coach. So um, he's, everything they've done make you think that they are totally in control of what's happening. They've talked a lot about how they've dealt with, with all this remote practicing and it seems like they're on top of things um but again it's as long as you went on sunday i guess <laughs> sunday will make everything else look better whether it's it's the same as freddie kitchens or as other predecessors did it or not i think the bar is too low if it's set at seven and nine for kevin stefanski's first mm -hmm. season i'm going to go out on a limb and say that right now and you kind of alluded to it scott uh, i i just think it's too low because of the talent that he has around him this is a roster that is built to contend for the playoffs and they're going to have to do that and they also have the fourth easiest schedule in the nfl this year the opportunities are there now that's a little bit misleading, uh, that number, that 4.46 win percentage or whatever, because Ben Roethlisberger wasn't involved in that. Joe Burrow is around now. And so that's changed. But I still think that seven and nine, that bar is too low. They need to have a winning season this year. It's a roster that is absolutely built to win and win now. And if he's worth 
and what everybody says he is, and he's as great as they believe he's going to be as a head coach, he should be able to coax a winning season out of this 2020 roster. Well, let me, let me, let me ask you guys something built off that, um, bringing up uh, expectations, because this isn't a normal coaching change, right? Most, we, we talked about the poor starts for Browns coaches. That's typical. I, I haven't looked at all the numbers across the league, but you would expect that they would probably struggle because why do you change coaches? Because you had a bad year. But the Browns are a little bit different because it wasn't so much that they just had a bad year. It's that they didn't meet expectation. And like you said, there's a lot of expectation of this year. They have their quarterback. They have this core group. Haslam said, you know, nobody was talking rebuild when they were looking for a coach. And all, all the implications have been they want to win now. So earlier this year, I wrote, what would it take for the new head coach to survive and not make the playoffs? Like, if you miss the playoffs this year as a Browns head coach, what do you have to do in order to come back? And it sounds like a crazy thing to ask, but again, the Haslam's have fired two coaches after one year. They're on their fifth coach in eight years, I think. So I came up with three things that, that, that would keep Stefanski here if they don't make the playoffs. One is if Baker Mayfield gets hurt. Another is if they go and they win 10 games, but they don't make the playoffs because that's happened, I think about 20, 22 times. The Browns did it back in 2007. And the other third one was be if they realize during the season the Baker is just not the guy. Then I think the coach gets another shot. Other than that, I couldn't really come up with a really foolproof answer for how Kevin Stefanski could guarantee a second year without making the playoffs. Is there another way that I'm missing? You know what? I would think that, that it would be uh, showing great progress and that you are – really on your way I mean you can win nine I, I mean if you win nine games and you don't make the playoffs I, I think nine is is okay not making the playoffs because it shows that you are on your way in a very challenging and difficult first year when you didn't have an offseason and you're going up against the Ravens and uh, you know and those kinds of things so I still think that would be a way uh, you know I, I think you can win uh, nine games and say look we're on the right track even if we didn't make the playoffs and I also think it's important to remember there is that extra playoff team this year. So I, I don't think we're going to see – I don't know if we'll, we'll ever see 10-6 and six miss the playoffs again. I, yeah, I, that's true. I don't know that's if that true. will ever happen. I don't know. It could. Um, but I'll say this. I think the thing that Kevin Stefanski has going for him is and, – and we've seen the Haslams do this before and bail on things. But I do think this is one of those situations where they've kind of gone – all in on this approach right now. Now, all in for them might mean two years from now we're, we're singing a different tune. But I do think there's a scenario where Kevin Stefanski certainly could go seven and nine or, or eight and eight. And yes, that might be disappointing. But if things are pointing in the right direction, if you feel good about your quarterback, if you feel good about the direction the team is going, you feel good about this GM coach relationship and, and kind of where this, you know, finishing off this build is going. I think they, they almost have to stick with it. I think last year was such a disaster on so many levels, not just the six and 10, but you know, you look at some like the, the opener, just being completely unprepared, um, you know, going to Arizona and, and losing that game, the finale in Cincinnati, uh, you know, the, you can point to all these different things and it was just bigger than the six and 10 record. Now, if Kevin Stefanski goes six and 10, yes, that's disappointing. But I do think a lot of those, those ugly things from last year would be gone. And you can go seven and nine or eight and eight. And as long as you feel like that arrow is still pointing up and things are at least pointing in the right direction, I don't think there would be any, any reason for Kevin Stefanski to be nervous. 
and, and, I'm just, I'm and not, I kind of, this discussion feels weird, but it's, you know, because the guy hasn't even coached a game yet. And we're talking about his job security, but that's sort of the world we live in uh, with, with the Haslams. That's sort of what, what they've established. I'm just having a hard time thinking of, of the Browns losing seven or eight games or even nine games and feeling good about that in some way. Because if you lose half your games, you have some losing streaks in there and you have, you're probably going to have some injuries, I'm sure. Everybody has injuries, but this isn't a team that won one game last year and just got its quarterback, you know? Again, we go back to the expectation thing and Baker Mayfield doesn't want to miss the playoffs again. You know, Odell and Jarvis don't want to miss the playoffs again. Um, you know, people will express frustrations when they go through through losing streaks. And I, I, it's hard for me to, to, to think of a way that we get to week, you know, 16, 17, and, and they're looking at roughly a 500 record and, and people are, are optimistic about the next year. When, when you guys talk about um, them being all in this year, you know, it just, I really do believe that they are, that the Haslams are all in on this plan. It is basically the Sashi plan without Sashi. It is, it, you know, it's what they intended to do. And it didn't work right back then because Sashi and Hugh Jackson were at complete philosophical odds and in, at odds in every other way. When I look back to the Freddie Kitchens press conference last year at the stadium, and I know you guys know exactly what I'm talking about with this. I mean, did some of the members of the front office, did, did the ownership group look absolutely morose walking out of that press conference or what? And I asked Jimmy Haslam about that. And he was like, no, 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 this was a, you know, we were, you know, you know, it was a unanimous decision or whatever. Well, we know that it, it, in the end, it really wasn't. Now, maybe the day they actually decided to make the hire, they all said, okay, we'll support John Dorsey hiring Freddie Kitchens. But that is not what the process was leading up to that whatsoever. Paul D. Podesta, who Jimmy Haslam has put his total faith in, he wanted Kevin Stefanski that year. Andrew Barry wanted Kevin Stefanski that year. And they didn't end up with their guy. And it just looked like there from day one, something was completely off about that whole thing. It, they, how, could they, how could that happen again? Where you've gone through all of this, you know, these, this regime is at odds. This regime is at odds. And then you have a chance to get it right again. And there were John Dorsey and Freddie Kitchen sitting up there by themselves, by the way. You know, not even Jimmy Haslam up there or JW or anybody else. It was those two guys, and it was almost like, okay, you guys, this, this is going to be your thing. And it just, from minute one, it just seemed like it was so ill-fated. And, and as you guys mentioned, I mean, the, that opener set the tone. It set the tone for the season. Every, the, all of a sudden, the emperor had no clothes. You knew that this was not going to go well this season, that very game. And uh, I just don't think that's the case this year. I think they are at least in, in alignment. Now they have had the curveball thrown at them of COVID. Nobody wants to start your first season as a head coach like this. This is challenging. However, I will say that he is so even keeled. He is so sort of level-headed, unflappable, that I think he's doing a good job of handling this. I don't think he's, you know, frazzled, rattled. I, I just don't think that he's letting this, uh, you know, just kind of take him, take him under. I think he's just controlling the controllables 
And I think he has the right personality to try to guide the team through this crazy time. And I think that's the, another piece of this that we do have to keep in mind. I mean, this is really unprecedented, you know, for, for, for him. And, and, you know, we had the lockout year uh, back in 2011, I, I believe it was. And, and that seemed to favor veteran teams. Uh, that, that seemed to favor teams that have been together and, and had coaches together. You know, I'm doing for Football Insider again, I'm kind of going through quarters of the schedule. And, you know, while it's easy, there are some games that, that are going to be tough. And, and the line in between winning and losing in the NFL is, is very, very thin sometimes. And, you know, if you lose these few months with a new head coach trying to put in a completely new system that, that's foreign to everybody, I mean, this isn't anything similar to what the Browns have been running in recent years. You know, it, it could be a little problematic, especially early on. You could be in a situation where, you know, you're four and four halfway through the season, which is okay. And, and then you kind of see where you go from there. I, I just think it would have to be an absolute disaster for us to be sitting here at the, you know, at the beginning of January saying, man, I wonder if Jimmy Haslam is thinking about making another change. I, I think that the Kevin Stefanski is going to have this team, you know, organized. They're going to be better. They're going, you know, obviously I, I do think seven and nine or eight and eight would leave fans a little disappointed, but I don't think it's disappointed to the extent of you, you, you've got to make changes. I, I think that, I think there's a leash there with Kevin Stefanski and there should be a leash. There should be a leash with every new head coach again, unless it's just a complete disaster like it was under Freddie. Yeah, and I do think um, that when it comes to adversity and it comes to things that a coach has to deal with that they weren't prepared for, Kevin Stefanski seems like the kind of guy who will handle something like that. He's very measured in how he talks. You know, everybody, you know, whether it's Andrew Barry, Paul D. Podesta, that whole trio there, I think uh, they know what they want to say, and that's all they say, you know. Um, much different than, than what we've seen maybe in a couple of past coaches. I don't see Kevin Stefanski saying something that's going to result in him jumping in a lake, for instance, you know, he's going to make quips like that. You never know. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I, it would be a surprise. You know, he doesn't talk off the cuff, I guess, as much as someone else might. So um, I do kind of expect maybe better handling of some of those adverse situations, you know, when, when maybe Odell says something that, that catches people off guard and they have to deal with or, or whatever happens, you know, it's the Browns, something always happens. So um, from that scenario, I, I'm, I would have confidence that, that he's the guy to, to be in charge of something like that. Yeah, and you know what, when you think about it, um, isn't it amazing that he's only 37? When we talk about his personality and his demeanor and guiding the team through, uh, through this, I mean, this, he is really, really young. I mean, he is so young, but he just seems uh, older than 37, really, just from a personality standpoint. He just doesn't seem young. Like you said, Scott, I, you know, we don't expect to see him jumping in the lake or doing anything uh, too crazy like that. He just, um, you know, and what he is, is he's the CEO coach. And I, you know, I actually think at this point that he, he might let Alex Van Pelt call the plays. You know, I, I think, uh, the idea possibly heading in is to really kind of have him oversee the process and, and really make sure that everything is running smoothly and that he has the right coordinators at each spot uh, to get this job done. So I, I could actually see him uh, just being the, that CEO model that I, I think they have been kind of looking for. But I think also, it, you know, it does kind of come down to is Baker Mayfield, and we talked so much about this the other day, you know, is Baker Mayfield uh, the guy that's going to get them there? And, and he has to be that uh, in order for this plan to work. 
And if it doesn't, you know, at least now they do have someone waiting in the wings in, in Case Keenum that could step in and win games for them. Yeah, I, I mean, your ceiling is, is going to be Baker Mayfield. No matter who the head coach is, your ceiling right now is going to be Baker Mayfield or whoever your quarterback is. But we've seen Kevin Stefanski and, and Alex Van Pelt, too, be able to get the best out of quarterbacks. So, I mean, for me, I, I, it's hard for me to even, even put a win total on it and say, well, he has to win this many games. It's just, I, I guess right now, and maybe this is just because it's the spring and we haven't even watched practices or anything, I just think about it more abstractly. I want to see what he can do with Baker Mayfield. I want to see if I come away feeling like this team has a real identity finally and just feeling like, okay, they can continue to add to this and add to this. And, you know, in the next year or two, we're, we're going to be talking about a team that can make that leap uh, in, into the top of the AFC. But that's so, – so that's kind of – my expectations are very abstract about Kevin Stefanski. I'll, uh, I'll put it that way. Well, even already, we already kind of have an idea of what the identity will be, which is so far ahead of where we've been, you know, with the previous few coaches. We knew, you know, Hugh Jackson coming from the Bengals, we had seen a little bit. We knew he liked to do the crazy things with, you know, splitting linemen out. And we knew a little bit, but not so much as we know with Stefanski, I think. Um, and the way that he's kind of remolded this offense to bring in, you know, a fullback to, to bulk up tight ends and, so we kind of have that going already. We know that it's not probably going to be a carbon copy of what we saw in Minnesota, but we do have that starting point that I think is better than, than what we've had with other coaches. So that kind of works in his favor. And also, like you said, the fact that he's an offensive coach and he had such success with Kirk Cousins, and we saw him put Kirk Cousins in positions to succeed, and it wasn't so much of him being a quote-unquote quarterback whisperer, but it was the fact that he's calling plays and he's making sure that his quarterback is efficient. and knowing how much Baker struggled last year, having him paired with Stefanski now, you would think, on paper anyways, that seems like it's a good thing that, that they're together and it's going to help Baker. Well, they, you know, they have such a concrete plan, uh, and, and you can point to it. You can, you can show the players on film, here's exactly what we're doing. Here's exactly what is expected of you. Here's how we're going to do it. And it's basically the, you know, the Gary Kubiak play-action-based offense that the Minnesota Vikings ran last year. So that's what Kevin called for the most part, and that is what is being installed here. Last year at this time, uh, you know, I remember, you know, even hearing from Ryan Lindley and, and, you know, him saying things like, you know, well, we're taking a little bit of this from here and a little bit of that from there and a little bit of this from here. And we want Baker to come in here and, and we want him to, you know, put his own stamp on this whole thing and, and, you know, just kind of make it his own. And it's a work in progress. And, and really that was code for, we don't know what we're doing yet. Like, <laughs> like it's a mess. It's a mess. <laughs> We don't have an identity and we don't have a plan. And Freddie's listening to a bunch of different cooks in the kitchen and we are not uh, sending a clear message to our players. That's the opposite of what is happening right now. When they're getting on these Zoom meetings with these players, whether it be the full team or whether it be the position, they're all speaking the same language. The players know what's expected of them. And we heard that from Baker Mayfield who was very frustrated with the fact that there wasn't a plan last year. Uh, you know, he goes, he, he came right out and said, you know, in OTAs, we weren't even, you know, we weren't practicing things that we were going to be running in a game. That's all changed. Even though they're still doing it virtually and they're on zoom, they can go out. Baker can take his guys out in Austin and 
use the terminology in some of the plays that they are going to be running in September in the opener. They know that, and I think they have a comfort level and a confidence level about that. Okay, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, uh, we'll talk about one rule, one proposed rule change real quick. I want to get your guys' thoughts on it, but first let me tell everybody about Football Insider. So as usual, let me tell you about Football Insider. You want to get signed up for that 14-day free trial. Mary Kay, me, Scott, Ellis Williams, we are going to text you throughout the day uh, with the inside scoop and analysis on the Browns. Sometimes we'll throw some nuggets in about interviews we're doing or or some thoughts on the news of the day. Uh, We text you all of that stuff, and it gives you an opportunity to interact with us in a different way because when you respond to a text, we respond directly to you. It's not a tweet reply that everybody can see. It goes directly to you and only you. So it's kind of a different fun way to interact with us. And of course, if you're a podcast listener, you know about Texter Tuesday, where we take only questions from our texters. And that's what we talk about on our Tuesday podcast. You want to get involved in that. So again, there's that 14 day free trial. After that, it's $3.99 a month. You can cancel it with one text if you don't like it, but I think you're going to love it if you give it a chance. Uh, What you need to do is go to cleveland.com slash Browns. There's a box on the right side of the page. Click on that, and you can see all of our options for tech subscriptions. Go to Football Insider and and check that out. Or if it's easier to start that 14-day free trial, just text us, of course, 216-208-3965. Again, to start your 14-day free trial of Football Insider, 216-208-3965. And back on our Friday edition of the Orange or Brown Talk podcast, we're going to wrap up our week by talking proposed rule changes. Just one, uh, because I think it's a very divisive rule change. Some people love it, some people hate it, and I want to get your guys' opinions on it. The onside kick, of course, with with recent rule changes, really has almost become obsolete. Uh, So there is a proposal that's going to get voted on that would allow teams, instead of doing an onside kick, they could take the ball fourth and 15 from their own 25-yard line and if they convert the first down, they get to keep the football. If they don't, the other their opponent gets the football. Um, is this too gimmicky for you, Mary Kay, or uh, or do you like this idea? You know what? I, I haven't really given it a lot of thought yet. What I will probably do now that that it's a proposed rule is is kind of uh, get some thoughts from from different people and look at it from different vantage points because I really haven't thought about all the unintended consequences of that or the ramifications of it. Uh, my first instinct is that it is a little bit gimmicky for me and that I think I would just prefer the onside kick. Although I think the onside kick, uh, you know, can lead to a lot of injuries and things like that. Um, but for the most part, I think my first uh my first thought would be to stick with the onside kick i do not think it's gimmicky you know what's gimmicky is as a as a kicker trying to bounce a ball <laughs> you know precisely 10 yards down the field you know they change things to make uh, what was it, even on on each side of the ball so that like you said there's aren't as much injury as there has been in the past so it's a lot harder now to convert on an onside kick i like it i like given uh, the option of of the fourth and 15 um, you know, that's football. It's, you got to gain 15 yards. You know, if it, it's not as, as gimmicky as say, uh, you know, an overtime where everybody gets it at the 20 or whatever. I like this. I like the option and I'd rather see this than, than, than you know, an onside kick that is probably not going to be recovered by the, the kicking team. 
Yeah, I've, I've always felt like onside kicks are a little overrated because we all like it, it always seems like the kicking team recovers it, especially in the NFL. And obviously, that doesn't always happen, but just when you think I, there aren't a ton of memorable onside kicks outside of, you know, Kellen Winslow breaking his leg in, in Dallas, at least for Browns fans. Um, Phil Dawson was really great at him uh, and things like that. I, I think it's interesting. I, I think it's worth considering. I, I like it because you know, you'd have teams kind of, they'd have like special plays, right? Like they do two point plays. They'd have a package of plays they would turn to in this situation. Uh, I like that, you know, you have to be trailing. I, I believe you can only do it twice in a game. So this wouldn't be a situation where a team could just play keep away um, and, and just do it whenever they want. Uh, you know, I, I do think it's a little gimmicky, but I also think it's, I think it'll be more fun. I, I think, you know, on paper, maybe some people might look at it and say, oh, I don't know about this. This kind of changes the game too much. But I think in practice, I think fans would get really excited about it. You know, your team scores a touchdown to pull within four points and you don't have any timeouts left. And, and just that buzz in that stadium when you're coming out there for that fourth and 15. I, I, I could see that being, uh, being exciting. And then, of course, you know, all, all we could spend our week doing is talking about that play a team ran. To, to try and get the ball back or or whatever it would just be another thing that I think fans would would talk about and argue about and, and debate about I, I think it's I'm glad the NFL is at least considering doing something like this yeah and there are no analytics for it yet so people wouldn't really have have the data you know to know uh whether or not it's going to work or what kind of plays work on a fourth and 15 and it would take a while to build up that data uh, to find out you know what would be your best option in that situation uh, so there would be a lot of trial and error um, but you know look I mean they moved uh, the extra point back and that seems to have worked out okay I mean I think that actually uh, lent some extra strategy to the game and uh, you had to think a little bit more about how you wanted to do things there uh, so yeah I, I mean I, I could see it having some merit there would definitely be more buzz, more excitement at the end of a game by a team going for fourth and 15 than lining up for an onside kick. Because there's just so little hope of getting the onside kick recovered that, you know, fourth and 15, that's doable. We've seen that before. We've seen that a lot. You know, teams gain 15 yards all the time. Um, so I think it would be more exciting to, to watch that. And uh, I, I bet there's a safety uh, I bet it would be safer, too, than onside kicks. I mean, I mentioned the Kellen Winslow thing, but an onside kick is just a, a mass of bodies. Um, and and I, think the extra, I think the extra point thing is interesting, Mary Kay, that you bring that up, because you could argue that that was gimmicky, to move the extra point back as far as they did, and they clearly did it because they wanted teams to go for two more. Right. And it added a little more variance to the game. You get some weirder scores, uh, guys miss kicks. I mean, we saw how much trouble guys had just on extra points kicking into the dog pound last year. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, the NFL has tried this stuff before. You know, I'm all for it. Make the game more exciting. Make it more fun. You don't have to go too far, but, you know, hopefully Mike Prefer isn't listening because he wouldn't like to hear that from any of us. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I say, uh, I say make the game more fun and, and make it more exciting, especially at the end uh, when a team is trailing. I mean, that's, that's what makes sports great, seeing if your team can come back and, and close a gap like that. All right, you guys sold me on it. I'll, I'll take it. Let's do it. Yes. The good. bottom line here is that the days are numbered for kickers. I think that's what we're really saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, eventually extra points will be 50-yard kicks and yeah. <laughs> who knows what else. Okay, that'll do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Hope everyone has a great weekend. Make sure you subscribe to Football Insider and subscribe to this on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, 
leave us good ratings, leave us good reviews. For Mary Kay and Scott, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody.